We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. Oh, it's good to breathe the sweet breath of freedom. I call this message my prison epistle. I knew I was, that was false because I know when I'm doing hard time in prison, you know. You have to stand in line all the time. There's no girls. and I, That just wasn't the case. My son is out in Virginia, in uh, D.C., and I said, hey, uh, I think our normal, astute American media made a mistake. And he said, uh, that was no mistake. He said, they know who y'all are. <laughs> Take a look here at First John. That was just a great Christmas present, just a great way to start the Christmas season. Be assigned a hard time. This First um, John one one through four. I'm going to do this for Christmas, as to. And I thought if you wanted to title this message, you could call it "What manner of man is this? Who is this person?" During Christmas, everybody stops. We have festivities. We give. We try not to do as wicked because it's Christmas. And yet, I think if you took a, a microphone and went down in the city and said, what is Christmas? Well, it's the memory of Christ's birth. Who is he? Who do you think he is? It'd be amazing what kind of answers you would get. This is who he is. And the reason this is written, stay with me for just a little bit. Um, the second great heresy in Christianity was what was called Gnosticism. The first heresy was uh, among the Galatian Christians that to be a Christian, you have to believe in Christ and keep Jewish law. And Paul dealt with that in the book of Galatians and at the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. We believe that we are saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus, even as the rest. And so it put an end officially to that idea that God bless them came out of Israel, that to be a Christian, they, the, the Jewish Christians had tried to amalgamate Christ with Judaism, and you can't do that. You can't have a hybrid. The law leads you to the knowledge of Christ, then you're done with it under grace. They had tried to make the two one. You're saved by grace and by works. And they said no. So that was your first heresy. The next one came from the Gentile world, the Greek world. And make a long story short, Gnosticism um, brought together Platonic philosophy and Christianity into kind of a golden calf that was both but neither of either. And what it did was it did violence to the person of Jesus Christ. This belief called Gnosticism, Gnosis, knowledge, those with a higher revelation from God, they would kind of pat Christians on the head and say, y'all's little knowledge is okay, but you don't have the real final truth. The Gnosis is this. To be in the kino, in the know, is this. That Christ was not God, he was an angelic creation. And he was not only not God, but he was not man. That he came and descended upon a person named Jesus. But spirits can't bleed and die, so he left him at the cross. They would say he came by baptism, but not by blood. He came by water, but not by blood. You ever seen that in First John? This is the one who came by water and by blood. And so they had what was called a docetic heresy. Dokeo means to seem. Docetism means he looked like a man, but he wasn't. It was merely a, a spirit 
of Christos, this created angel descending upon Jesus and then leaving him at Calvary. So was he God? Gnosticism said no. Is he fully man? Gnosticism said no. He is merely a visitation of an angel. He's Clarence, okay, but he's not really the Messiah. And so it did violence to the person of Christ. And it was a threat that had to be answered. Paul wrote about it in the book of Colossians. Um, Peter wrote about it in 2 Peter. Jude wrote about it. The book of Jude is dedicated to it. In the book of Revelation, it speaks of the, uh, the error of the uh, Nicolaitans and the error, of, uh, the error of Balaam. And both of them are talking about the Gnostic heresy. And so it is always a danger, see if you can agree with this, to try to mix the Bible with current philosophy and rational ideas. Can that ever be a problem? Yes, you don't make God into a graven image. You don't make him who you want him to be. And so John dealt with it in the largest capacity. Five chapters of 1 John are about the error of Gnosticism. And John will say over and over, by this we know, by this we know, by this we know. John is written in about 90 AD. He's a late, late epistle. Revelation is the only thing written after 1 John. Uh, and John deals with it. And the reason that John is important is John is the last of the apostles. What do you have to be to declare that you have written a book that is scripture? Answer, you have to be an apostle or at least someone that is fostered by an apostle as Mark was by Peter, as Luke was by Paul and whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, we still don't know. But you had to have, to be a delegate of an apostle. Jesus said, the spirit will guide you, the apostles, into how much of the truth? All the truth. And so if somebody comes out of the woods in New York on a bicycle, okay, and tells you that he's got book 67, don't believe it. Because it ends with the death of John. Interesting that the first apostle to die was James, his brother. The last is John, James' brother. They were like bookends. Both of them ask, uh, grant that we can sit on your, with you in your kingdom. Jesus said, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can. That you will do. And so they both died, first and last. John is the apostle that was probably the first Christian. And uh, John chapter 1, he was a follower of John the Baptist along with Andrew. And John the Baptist pointed to Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And they followed after Jesus. Jesus said, What do you seek? They said, Where are you staying? And they stayed with him that day. So John and Andrew were probably the first Christians, followers of John the Baptist. And uh, he is also the closest to Christ. His head is on Christ's chest at the Last Supper. What did John call himself? He never calls himself John. You remember? The disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, he was at the transfiguration and saw the glorified Christ and heard God speak, this is my son. At the cross, he was the only apostle that was there at the cross. The sheep had scattered. John was there and he saw blood come forth with water. And he said, he who writes this is true and you know that his witness is true. John said, I saw him die. When he rose from the dead, Mary Magdalene saw the empty tomb, ran to the apostles. They've taken away our Lord. 
They ran there. John got there first. He was faster, younger than Peter. Okay. Peter came chugging up later. John got there and saw the grave clothes like a cocoon and didn't know how he had gotten out of them. And he believed and went away. Uh, John saw the glorified Christ in the book of Revelation. He did time travel and he saw the end of time. And so the last guy that writes as to who Jesus is, is the guy you would imagine. And that is John. This is a five-star apostle uh, who grew up in Capernaum, the same region that Jesus grew up in. They may have known each other. And so John is going to write to you and to all the church about this is who Jesus is and this is what salvation is. This is the final word. And it's kind of interesting because the last verse in John is, beloved children, keep yourself free from idols or guard yourself from idols. He never speaks of false images or false gods. But it's interesting that at the end of the New Testament, the idol you have to most fear is that of the human mind, of taking the Bible and shaping it into what you want it to be. Amen. Voltaire said, God made man in his own image and man has evermore returned the favor, making God who we want him to be. See also America. And so in verse one through verse four, what manner of man is this? John says in verse one, what was from the beginning. That remind you of a couple of verses? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, what was from the beginning, oh, wait a minute. John one, verse one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The beginning, as John uses it, is creation. That at creation, this isn't merely Genesis, this is the recreation in Christ. He was there at the beginning. What was from the beginning, and that is an eternal being, that is God. So, John, who is he? He is eternal, he is creator, and he is God. But what we have heard and seen with our eyes, what we have beheld and touched with our hands. He is not just God, but he is man. And he is not a docetic semblance of a man. No, we heard him speak. We saw him do miracles. We beheld him when he rose from the dead. We gazed at him. When I leave for church on Sunday morning, a lot of times I'll stop in my wife's study and I'll say, behold, <laughs> do I pass muster? Gaze upon me, O woman. And she'll say, did you cut your nose hairs? <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. Behold, the man. I mean, that's what Jesus said about and in verse one, what we have touched with our hands. Some have felt that there possibly is a chronological progression here with the apostles. We listened to him. He spoke to them the things concerning him and all the scriptures. 
we looked at him. What manner of man is this that the winds and the waves obey him? He rose from the dead. We beheld him. And then we touched him. Remember what he said to Thomas? Put your fingers in these holes. Put your hand in this hole in my side. Be not unbelieving, but believing. My Lord and my God. And so John said, he is God and he is man and he's a real man and we touched him. And thus he is the word of life. Now let me explain that. That term word or logos in the beginning was the word. When Christ returns, it says the name written upon him is the word of God. Uh, the term logos was invented surprisingly right about the time Jesus was born. It was by a fellow in North Africa named Philo, P-H-I-L-O, who was a Jew. And he came up with the idea of, of reason and rational explaining what is really there. And he called it the word. Paul said, who among men knows the thoughts of a man? except the spirit of the man who is in him. Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows. And so, you can't know who I am. You can know I'm here. You can look at some things about me, but you can't know me unless I do what? I've got to speak. I've got to communicate from me to you who I am. And your reason doesn't hold up if I speak. And that's what Philo called truth. It's when something manifests and reveals itself. And that is what God has to do, or we can't know him. Well, John calls this God who became one of us, the word. He is the logos. Philip said, Lord, show us the father and it'll be sufficient. Philip, have I been so long with you and you not understand that he who has seen me has seen God? He is called the image of the invisible God, the exact representation of his nature, Hebrews 1. And so in Christ, we have God's image and we have God's voice. We know who he is. And so this God-man, this theanthropic person, theosanthropos, he's the only one that's ever lived, God and man. He is the logos. He's the explanation to us of who God is. We don't have to sit down and go into ourselves and wonder and submit it to a committee as to who God is. God will tell us who he is. And the way he does this is through Christ, the word of life, where God speaks humanese. He comes down to our senses. Behold how he loved him. What manner of man is this? And he touched him and the leprosy went from him. Lazarus come forth and he came forth. Uh, and over and over that they watch Christ and they write down who he is. You know, we only have 52 days in the life of Jesus. Did you know that? In the gospels, you only have 52 days. And they're not days, they're little sound bites short little sound bites. And John said, consider that a blessing because if he told you everything that he did, you having a problem having a quiet time now? You have more data, John said, than the libraries on the earth could have. And so God has freeze dried it. 
down into a little manual like this called the Gospels, the good news. And so he is the word and he is the word of life. Meaning he is, he explains by his words, his actions, who God is. In him is life and his life is the light of men. And he is the answer as to how to be restored to life. There's a fellow who wrote a book called From Dawn to Decadence. And it looks at Western history from the 1500s, the Reformation, dawn, to where we are today, decadence, and how we got there. And in that book, he says that one aspect of all of history, this is a fellow named Barzun, I believe he's a, he's a, uh, a Frenchman, and he really had a good statement. He said, every civilization will always have two things. That is the civilization's discontent in where they are. The knowledge that we are sicker than we ought to be. We're more violent than we ought to be. We're more warlike than we ought to be. We are more um, crooked than we ought to be. We are not as loving as we ought to be. We are selfish. There's the non-compassionate use of accumulated wealth. And so he said, every culture has recognized the fallenness of that culture. And then after that, every culture has an idea of what they should be. It's called utopia of what it would be. Y'all know what the word utopia means? It means no place. <laughs> we can't find it. Thomas More would write about utopia. Uh, Marx had his idea of what a utopian civilization would be. Unity, fraternity, liberty. But we can't find it. And so every culture knows it's in trouble and every culture wants to progress morally, domestically, socially, uh, sexually, governmentally, educationally, medically to come to a better place. Would you all agree with that? To find life. But as Barzun says, he can't find it. He can't change himself. He can imagine it. He can write about it. He can have a communist revolution. He can have a socialistic revolution, an industrial revolution. He can have a reformation getting back to the Bible. But we can't change the nature of man. We have to have something that will tell us exactly who God is and how we can change it would be like God would have to become one of us, come down, live the life we ought to live, die for our failure, rise again, come inside of us, and energize us to head toward him. Amen? That is called Christianity. And so this is what John is saying. He is God, he is man, and he is the declaration of who God is, and he can bring us home. He can reconnect us. He can have a cosmic reunion of God and his people all together. That's why one of the most beautiful verses in all the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, man and God together. The fall, Revelation chapter 22, the holy city descends on a new universe and God, quote, is among his people and they behold him face to face. So we end like we began, but it's better. And so... This is the way back home. It answers the question of man's highest longing of how we can get back. In verse twelve, uh, 2, this life, the life of God and the salvation of man 
how we can fix it. The life was manifested. That's a word that means become visible. I can look at him. Isn't it interesting when Christ was born, angels, there is born for you this day in the city of David a savior. This is a sign. A baby is in a manger. Angels knew where he was. And then Mary and Joseph and the shepherds. If anybody can paint, I'll give you a painting. Give me 10% of the net, okay? But if you can paint a picture of that baby in that manger and have Mary and Joseph and then have some shepherds and then in the back and kind of a three in a, in a kind of a 3D deal, give me a myriad of the heavenly host. And they're all looking at seven pounds, two ounces of human. Ain't that something? That'd be a picture. And so it's all found in this person. We follow him at his conception, the holy thing, at his birth, at eight days, when Simeon says, this is the light of God and the sunrise from on high. Then you see him at three years growing in wisdom. You see him at 12, everybody gathered around him. You see him at 30, he can't get away from the crowds. Isn't that amazing? The only time he's alone is on the cross. And so he is the life manifested. It's not a philosophic system. It's not a degree you have to get. It's not a moral ladder. It's not a, uh, a mystic experience that life is found in a person of God coming down to be one of us and then him dying for what we did and ascending back. And it's like he has secured a cable for us to get home. Well, uh, one fellow has said that the essence of religion is man's attempt to find God. Christ is God's attempt to find man and bring him back. And that's why when you look at the Bible, if you were Spock, okay, pure Vulcan rationality, you would say, Captain, this book sees the creation of man and his glory and his fall in the first four pages. And then we see the decadence of human history. And through every book, there is the anticipation of one baby that will become one man, one sacrifice, and one savior. The Old Testament is called anticipation. He's coming. The gospels are called manifestation. He's here. The book of Acts, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the utmost parts of the earth. He, the, the man is proclaimed, and we see the beginnings of this thing that begins with tongues of fire, and languages among all the nations and the gust of, of the breath of God. It's the church, the new temple of God. And then you have Romans through Jude, an explanation of the proclamation, the proclamation uh, of the manifestation, the manifestation of the anticipation. And you look at it all the way through Jude and you turn the last pages and it ends in looking into the future of the revelation. He comes back. And so all of the Bible is about one singular person. If works would save you, we could end after Exodus 20 and give you the 10 commandments. And Exodus 21 say, good luck. See you at the throne. But it doesn't. 
it keeps on going to the law keeper and the one that avenges law. Well, uh, in verse uh, two, this life was manifested and we, that's not you and I here, it's the apostles. The church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ the cornerstone. Christ is the corner and our knowledge of who he is is in witnesses. They're not brilliant men. They are not eloquent men. They are witnesses. And as a result, they testify in verse two. We testify. Do y'all remember whenever they replaced Judas, they got a guy named Matthias and the, uh, the qualification was he has to have been a witness from the time of John the Baptist through the baptism of Christ, the ministry of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and the ascension. That the church is not based upon the brilliance of fishermen that sit down and cogitate about God. Are you glad? It's not built upon the brilliance of Paul. They saw something, and it was an event of a person who died and rose. And that's why the message of the New Testament is called the God spell, the good news. It's a message. When you put it in the Greek, it's called the evangelion, the angel good, evangel, the good message. And so Christianity is not an earning and it's not a philosophic system, it's not a moral system. It's an event that God did for us. Is there another event in the Bible where a whole group of people get saved by a wall on the right and a wall on the left and they went through safe and sound and then the enemy was destroyed? Y'all seen the movie? It's the 10 Commandments. That's how you got saved in Israel. You simply walked through what God had done for you. How did Samson destroy the Philistines? One pillar, another pillar, looked familiar. He pushed it down. Let me die with my enemies. And so that's how God saved us. So we don't do anything. We just stand back and watch. In Islam, it says that the judgment, he whose scales are heavy shall dwell in uh, uh, bliss. He whose scales are light shall dwell in the darkness. You've got to earn it. Christianity is a good news. You merely have to look at it and say, amen. I'm lost. God is holy. Christ is my solution. I repent and you are saved. Isn't that great? God gets all the glory. We get all the benefit. And so he says in verse two, we testify. Uh, testifying is when you have an official authoritative command to tell what you have seen. You don't have to be an expert witness, but you have to be a truthful witness. This is what I saw. At the crucifixion, John said, he that writes this says this is true. And you know that my witness is true. I saw him die. And then that testimony, the life was manifested. We've seen and testify. And we, what's your next verb? Y'all remember what a verb is? We proclaim. We're not just gonna 
testify to you, we're gonna go to Judea and then to Samaria and then the outermost parts of the earth. We will go to Galatia and then to Macedon and then to Corinth and Athens, then we'll go to Rome and we will tell everybody. Then we'll jump the ocean and we'll come to uh, Nova Scotia and Williams, where'd we let them sing? Williamsburg, we're not Williamsburg. Where'd we settle at? Where are the settlers at? Jamestown, yes, thank you. I know Bible, but I didn't do real well in history in high school. Yeah, Jamestown. And all of the Western Hemisphere, and today it's jumped all the way to China and to, uh, uh, let's see, India. It's gone farther to, uh, farther to the West, east of Jerusalem. The journey is going to end where it started. Christ rose from, ascended from the Mount of Olives, and he will return to the Mount of Olives. It's going to go completely around the earth like the sunrise, okay? And so we proclaim this. Uh, and what we proclaim is the eternal life. He is God, which was with the Father. He is not just divine, but he is distinct. He is the Son and he is manifested to us. He became one of us. He is a divine person, he is a distinct person, and he is a human person. God spoke to us in humanese. He came down to us in the word made flesh that we could look at that baby, at that three-year-old, at that 12-year-old, at that 30-year-old, at that 33-year-old, and we could see him. There was the Lamb of God. And then in verse uh, three, and what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. What we have seen and what we have heard. This phenomena of the incarnation of Christ. What we have seen and heard, we're going to tell you about it. And the reason is that you may have fellowship with us. Just as the apostles have fellowship with God, I'm going to tell you about Christ and you can have fellowship with God. You notice he says you can have fellowship with us. It's not like God through his son to the apostles and we're all on the B team. There's no rungs on this ladder. We can have fellowship with God right with the apostles. How many times in the New Testament is the term saint used about a singular person? None, not once. How about St. Francis? How about St. Augustine? How about St. whatever? Now, that's made up by Catholicism, but it's not in the Bible. It's never a saint, like one guy is better. Oh, she's such a precious person. She's a saint. Bad theology. Okay. Saints is always used plural about all the people of God. We're the saints or the holy ones. Do you know what church was called saints more than any other church? The worst one, Corinth. They had a problem with getting drunk at communion. That's a problem. Okay. And so they had incest in the church. They had all kinds of problems. 
Paul rallies them to obedience by calling them as to who you are. Be somebody. Like Andy would say to Opie, remember whose you are. You're saints. That's not proper among the holy ones. We're saints. And so we have fellowship. What is fellowship? It goes like this. And the son envied the pods which the pigs were eating. And he came to his senses and said, my father's hired men have more than enough food. I'm dying here with hunger. I will go home to my father. Home. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned. Is that a hard word to get out of people? Sometimes. I have sinned. And then he said, against heaven and in your sight. I didn't do you wrong, merely daddy. You were collateral damage. My problem's God. I rejected him. And you got hurt. And I'm going to go home to my father and I'm going to say to him, I sinned against heaven and in your sight. Kind of like David, against thee and thee only have I sinned. Well, you got a dead Uriah and a defiled Bathsheba and a baby that's gone. But he said, God, against you I sinned. It was you. I'm not worthy to be your son. Make me as a hired servant. Can I go live in the upstairs garage apartment and work for a wage? I know that I have blown my sonship and there's no way you can receive me back as a son. Am I telling y'all a story right here? It's called the prodigal. You know what prodigal means? Prodigious means you do too much of. The son had no uh, boundaries on his lust. If he felt it, he did it. The real prodigal here is the father. He is prodigious in his love. He came and he started home and the father saw him from a long way off. How come? He's looking for him. Is that my boy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> boy, he looks awful. He must have lost 60 pounds. He's barefooted. He stinks. And the boy starts home. Now the daddy under Jewish law had the right to stone him by law. And daddy saw him. And daddy ran toward him. You ever seen an old Jewish man run? That'll be your assignment this week. <laughs> you have to take your robe and pull it up and put it in your, in your waistband. You ever seen an 80-year-old man's legs they're not a pretty sight. You have to lay aside your glory. And then you take off running. He runs to his son. And he, you ever hugged a pig farmer? He puts his arms around this stinky boy. Because the boy can do nothing to change his estate before the father. He can't pay him back. He's lost it all. He puts his arms around him and he hugs him. And the son begins his speech. Uh, Father, <coughs> excuse me. I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be caught. And the father cut him off. I'm not going to let you say that. 
that you're not worthy to be a son and in so doing disgrace my love for you. And he says, go get the robe and put it on him of sonship. Go get the fattened calf and kill it. Go get the, the ring, the signet ring that he is my son and he pawned it. Go get that. Go get the sandals. Slaves don't wear shoes. Sons do. Go get the sandals. Because this son of mine was lost. And now he's found. And then he said, he was dead. And he's come to life. Amen. When you're alien to God, you're alien from life. You're a dead man walking. Go get him. You know what else the son said? We don't know. He didn't say a word. He doesn't say a word. He lets the father clothe him and reinvest him and honor him. And then it says, and they began to be merry. The father and the son. You know what you'd call? That's called fellowship. That's what Israel would do every year at Passover. They'd have a meal of fellowship. We don't have Passover. What do we have? It's called communion. That we're in fellowship. And so we enjoy the feast and we eat of the feast, not with the old leaven of malice and wickedness, but the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth because Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. We are in fellowship. He that hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and I will sup with him and him with me. Ain't that something? God has made us clean before him. And so John says, we proclaim this to you that you can have fellowship with us. So when the church gathered, they didn't have a special place for Paul and Peter and John. They all ate together. When you go home to Christmas, do your parents sit you according to your grade point average? According to the letters on your letter jacket? According to your gross earning power? Do they? They don't. Do you? Hope not. No. The father thought, he's a, he's a bad boy, but he's my bad boy. He's a failure, but he's my failure. He's mine. I remember one time at an FCA camp, Fellowship Christian Athletes, there was a coach there from McKinney, and he looked like John Wayne. He was about six foot five, six six, big handsome fellow. And he came to where all the coaches were at and his daughter came there with him. The daughter didn't go with the kids program. They had kids programs at FCA stuff. She was a high school girl and she didn't go. You know why? Because she was so odd. She was Gothic. Y'all remember that? How many of y'all were Gothic in high school? Okay. It's when she had black fingernails and black hair. She had black lipstick. She just looked Lily Munster. Okay. You, you remember <laughs> Lily Munster? Morticia Adams. Okay. Tried to look as close to death as she could. And she would sit beside this, this Republican. Okay. <laughs> and he would have his arm around her. And uh, she would lean onto him, listening to stuff. Sometimes he'd pat her on the head. 
She wasn't a happy kid. All right. And I know that if I could have said to that coach, hey, would you like to clean your daughter up a little bit and make her look normal? I wouldn't mind it at all. But I'm sure his attitude was, yeah, she's a weird kid, but she's my weird kid. And so he would sit with her. Always wondered what happened to her. And that's kind of the way that uh, God sees us. Yeah, they're sinners. Paul was the chief of sinners, but he's mine now. He's mine. Aren't you glad? He's mine. And so in verse three, that you can have fellowship with us and our fellowship goes to the top. Our fellowship is with the father and with his son. When you love the son, you love the father because they are inseparable in nature. At my house, my boy, Benjamin, had a buddy named Britt, Britt Stroud. His parents come here, Nancy and Latham. And uh, Britt was always around. I'd run him off sometimes at 11.30. Get out of here, I gotta go to bed. But if Britt ever came to me and said I needed something, he gets it. You know why? He loved my son. John Clark had a buddy named Zach, Zach Roselle. Whatever he asks of me, he's got because he loves my son. I'll deny myself to go with Zach. When you love my son, you love me. Y'all ever had anybody out there hurt your kid? Yeah, you'd be getting jail time instead of me. Nobody hurts your kid. Well, he says here, you love the son and you love the father. And so our fellowship is the highest of fellowship. When I was in Campus Crusade, a guy named Jim Coatman made this. He took 1 John 5. The witness is this, that God has given us eternal life. This life is in his son. He that has the son has the life. He that hath not the son of God does not have the life. These things I've written to you believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. If you've got Christ, you've got it all. And uh, he, he took a pencil and he said, this pencil is one of the great inventions of all time. You can express everything through this pencil, not through the wood, but through the lead. And he said, the lead is like God the Father, the Father within the Trinity. And the pencil is Christ who delivered the truth to us. And Jim said to me, Jim Coatman, when you've got the pencil, you've got the lead. It's all one. And he says, that's the way it is with God. When you have received Christ as Savior, you don't have to begin there and work your way up to the Father. If you love the Son, then you are loved by the Father. Isn't that good? And so, that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write that our joy may be made complete. The progression goes like this at Christmas. The Father sends the Son, the Word, and he becomes the Lord Jesus, the God-man. And he communicates himself to the 12, and they proclaim it to all, and it comes down to us. And then we turn around and we give it back to others. Ain't that something? We fellowship with God and we proclaim it to others. And so our joy is made complete. The guy that discipled me in college died this last year. And his wife told me that as she was dying, she sat beside him 
And she would talk to him about men going on because of him. Down in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And she'd say, remember Tommy? I stayed close with him. Tommy's pastor in a church in Texas. Remember John Bowles? He's one of the leading coaches on the East Coast. Remember Clark? He's with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Remember Tom Hess? He works at Fort Bragg and works with the soldiers there for the navigators. Remember this dear girl? She married this guy. You remember this guy? He married this and they're doing. And she just said, John would just sit and listen of all the stuff that was going to follow him in glory. And that's our joy is complete when we can tell it to others. Anybody know Manny Desai? Manny, did you make it to church? Where are you, Manny? There you are. Manny is a doctor. He and I go way back into the 80s. Manny's an internist, and he would have people come into him for their physical ailments, and Manny would do the best he could with them. But before they would leave, Manny would close the door, and he would say, you know, if Manny, okay, you know, I can help your physical problems, but only God can help your soul. I have nothing for your soul except Jesus. And he would talk to them about their soul. I can fix your body today, but it's going to give way tomorrow. Jesus. And Manny would tell them about Christ. And that was Manny's highest joy. He said to me once, no matter how good a doctor I am, they're going to die someday. If you go to Manny, don't get discouraged. <laughs> He's going to your funeral someday. Can you get an amen, Manny? I see you there, Manny. But he would help you with your soul. And that was Manny's highest joy, his greatest joy. Well, this is why I think that at Christmas, everybody gets happy because of the rumor that God has come for us. I think it's, did you ever watch uh, Shawshank Redemption? When Andy Dufresne puts on the three Italian sopranos and they sing and everybody in the prison stops, guards, prisoners, and they listen to something so beautiful. Morgan Freeman read, he says, we didn't know what those Italian women were singing, but it had to be something beautiful. That there's something outside this prison that is so beautiful that you'll stop and just listen. And I think that's Christmas. For just a brief moment, everybody is allowed not to be completely at the mercy of rationale that there's a God who's made himself known in his word and died and rose, and he can save you. And that music is so beautiful that for just a moment, everybody stops to hear the angels sing. That's Christmas. I even think that's why we like Santa Claus. You know what Santa means? It means saint. Saint Claus. He has a white hair and white beard, just like God the Father in uh, Daniel 7. Don't email me. Okay, because he is the ancient of days. This Santa is old and wise, and he lives in the far north where no one can approach him except Will Ferrell. He's the only one. <laughs> he is unapproachable, 
but he spends all of his time making presents and gifts. And he knows when you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. He knows, and he's coming, and you won't see him. And he will fill your life with blessing. What will he fill? Your dirty sock. <laughs> you just hang it on the fireplace. And I think there's something about this that we would like to know that there is an ancient of days who loves us, comes to us, and can bless us beyond our wildest dreams. Don't you, Millie? Okay. But that's the Holy One, Santa. You know, it's interesting. Charles told you about uh, Louis Gilmert. He comes to the church often here. He's a congressman from Tyler. And he loves to come to here and, and just a wonderful fellow. And he said to me one day, he said, you know, I've heard you say a number of times, you got a message for Congress as soon as you get invited. I said, yeah, oh yeah. He said, Nancy ain't gonna let you come. I said, I'm aware of that. I've been waiting for years and I ain't got the invitation. He says, but I can. And he said, I'll tell you what you do. You write down what you would give if you got invited. I said, are you serious? He said, you write it and I'll give it. I said, I'll do it. And I spent almost a month exactly what I would say. And I gave it to Louis. And uh, I got a call or an email on uh, Friday. And he said, I gave it yesterday at three o'clock. And so my wife has a smartphone, okay? And she put it on and I was sitting in the recliner listening to it. And I mean, of course, that everything he was saying was in my memory bank. And I'm walking him through it. And he gets up and he says, I've got a friend named Tommy Nelson, a pastor in Denton, Texas, at Denton Bible Church. And he said to me often, I would like to give a message if I could get invited, but he didn't, so I'm going to give it. He said that. And he said, and he started through on what I, and it was the result of about 48 years of living and study. And I put it in that message. I never thought it'd get read, and it did. And he read it with that East Texas drawl from a judge. It just sounded more authoritative than a phys ed major, okay? He gave it, and he gave it well. And in the middle of it, he took a little diversion, and he talked for about six, seven, ten minutes on Alexis de Tocqueville, the French ambassador. And he talked on him. And it was the best thing I've ever heard. I wrote it, but it was the best thing <laughs> I ever heard. And while he was giving it, I'm, I'm sitting there in the recliner going, yes. And I, and I know where he's going. Yes. Sick'em Louie. Mm-hmm. It's like Kendall up here, you know. <laughs> And he hit it right on the nose. And uh, when it finished, I looked at Teresa and I said, I can die. I'm okay. I can die. At the identical time that was happening, Newsweek 
said I was in prison for child abuse. Isn't that amazing? At the identical time, I said to Teresa, I've never felt so honored by Satan (laughs) that he knows who we are. Isn't that amazing? I mean, simultaneous. And uh, I said to my son, who's in uh, D.C., I said to him, isn't that interesting that that mistake come out at the same time? And Ben said, that was no mistake. He said, they know who you are. We proclaim it. Satan said, no, you won't. Louis told me that broadcast goes to between 400,000 and 2 million every day. So if you want to get it, just come over to my house and we'll get the smartphone right here. You can listen. Other than that, I don't know how you do it. Charlie will know how to do it. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we could have no better text for Christmas than, uh, than this one. From Jesus, best friend, his final word, his first disciple, his eyewitness, this is who he is. I spent three years every day, 24-7, in all different climbs, and I watched him. And this is the life from the Father made known to us to get us home. And Lord, we know that uh, our message falls on deaf ears. It always has. It falls on deaf ears. That we're always spitting in the wind. But sometimes the wind changes. And we pray that by your great grace, it might in our day. That men for a chance, for a change, could see themselves not as smart as they think they are. Not as strong and not as righteous as they think they are. That they could come as children to a father's message about the elder brother. And pray, Lord, that you might uh, draw us like orphans to the fire of the beauty of the Bible every day. And we'll ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.